Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. It's Wednesday, which means we'll be picking out some of the best work available on The Athletic right now and putting the authors under the spotlight. It's curved for three. Oh, my word. What an unbelievable goal from Sam Kerr. World class from one of the very best arounds. Uh, yeah, I love you guys. I wish you could be here. These are the moments as a player that you play and wish your family was here, but they're probably all home. My girlfriend's here, that's why I had to put on a show, but yeah, let's go. <laughs> this week, we're going to highlight an article written by myself about women's football and the power couples showing the joy in being queer. We'll be joined by football journalist Jesse Parker Humphreys, who I spoke to for this piece, and we'll also be hearing from some of the amazing women that I spoke to for it. Yeah, it's a brilliant piece, and it's a love story, the impact of which has been felt across the world, as you are about to hear. Um, before we introduce Jesse, um, Dan, FA Cup final, Women's FA Cup final on Sunday. Did you watch it? What did you think? Have you seen Sam Kerr's third goal? Because it is quite something. I have seen the goal. Unbelievable strike. I didn't watch it, flow because I was on my way to I Villa Park. I thought you might have been. For the Villa game. But I tell you what, we had talk sport on. Couldn't get away from your voice. I've been every, haunting on, you. I've been on haunting every five you, minutes, <laughs> On every five minutes with the updates. And then I come on the podcast today and we're talking about your written piece as well. I know. Sorry. Sorry. I'm really, um, yeah, really am haunting you. But yeah, it was a, it was, it was a wicked goal. Arsenal were terrible. And I think yeah, that's... they sounded bad. Sorry, sounded sorry bad. producer Adonis. Um, and they're, they're playing... Um, uh, Barcelona at the Emirates on Thursday night so that's going to be interesting because I think a lot of Arsenal fans are worried that that's going to be quite some beating given they lost 4-1 to Barcelona already in the group stage of the Champions League but yeah Chelsea just absolutely blew them away Sam Kerr scored two Fran Kirby scored one she was immense Emma Hayes said it was the best performance she's ever seen from Fran Kirby in a Chelsea shirt and also Sam Kerr did that just, I think, two days after arriving back from Australia she, she arrived back from Australia on the Friday from international duty so I mean, she must have been knackered, but you wouldn't you wouldn't have known. She was just unbelievable, um, and it was a real, I think, celebration for women's football. Despite a pretty dodgy performance from Arsenal, I just think all in all, it was a, a really good, really good, really good show from best players in the world, and uh, over forty thousand there to watch it. So yeah, brilliant. It's quite a weird situation, wasn't it? Because it actually last season's FA Cup final. Is that right? I mean, they could have played it earlier, I think, but they deliberately did wait until December the 5th to play it because it was the 100-year anniversary of the ban of women's football. So I think they really wanted to mark it on that special date. So, yeah, because of COVID, it was just sort of like a backlog of the calendar and then it felt like it made more sense to play it in December, mark it around this. And I think the FA you know, did really well to their credit because... I spent a lot of time, you know, shouting at the FA for various different things. But I think they do deserve a lot of credit for what they did because 
it was the right balance of acknowledging the past, you know, bringing in important players from past FA Cups and talking about the anniversary and doing a lot of content around the history and then kind of looking ahead to the future and celebrating the now. So I think they they, they, they struck a really good balance on that. And I think it's, it's exciting to think about in May, slightly warmer day with better weather, hopefully, uh, about the prospect of, of this season's final. I mean, something that has really been talked about in past FA Cup finals, Lewis have done some big campaigning around it. We haven't seen as much, we didn't see much of it this year. I did sort of share a, a crowdfund that Clapton were doing in relation to travel for games, but the prize money in the Women's FA Cup is really, really bad. Um, and Tim Stillman, who, who's a big Arsenal writer, has actually shared a tweet around the fact that the winner of the FA Vars gets around 10 grand more than the winner of the Women's FA Cup. Um, but when you look at the finals of those two competitions, the FA Vars and FA Trophy finals, which were a double header, they got a crowd of 6,000. The Women's FA Cup final drew just under 41,000. So it's not even just about, you know, attendances here. The gate receipts split in in Ed Women's FA Cup, which is why the reasons Clap one of the reasons what why Clapton did this crowdfunding in the first place isn't the same as the men's FA Cup. So not only is the sort of differential huge with the winner of the women's FA Cup getting twenty five thousand pounds compared to the men's one point eight million. Um, when you look at all the way down the rounds, like. 850 quid if you win your first round of the Women's FA Cup that doesn't even pay your travel so it's a re- it's, it's a conversation that's ongoing um, it's something I know the FA are looking at but to be honest it's just not good enough to have it's not even just the disparity between the two numbers it's just the sheer lack of any money I mean 850 quid it's nothing it's absolutely nothing um, it's nonsense so yeah I think hopefully it's something we'll, we'll start to see change before we welcome in Jesse, remember you can sign up to The Athletic and subscribe today for just £3.33 a month for 12 months, so you'll enjoy all the great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, including our very own Flo Lloyd-Hughes. You'll also get ad-free versions of all our podcasts. Go to theathletic.com slash footballpod to take advantage of that offer. That's theathletic.com slash footballpod, and if you are enjoying the show, then please leave us a review. So let's welcome Jesse Parker Humphreys to the Athletic Football Podcast. Welcome, Jesse. Before we talk to you, just going to get a brief intro into the piece from Flo, as it is her work. A very, very proud moment for Flo having her article feature on this podcast. The story starts with a kind of break the internet moment, Flo. Can you just talk us through that moment? Yeah, I think for probably a lot of people listening, they might not be aware of this. But if, like Jesse and I, you are quite sort of embedded in the women's football world, especially the the online subculture that is so amazing and hilarious and unique within it. You, yeah, if you're not in that, you may not have seen this, but in the summer during the Olympic Games in Tokyo, there was a moment on the pitch after the US had beaten Australia in the bronze medal match. And it was a moment in which Sam Coe plays for Chelsea in Australia and Christy Mewis, who's been at the Houston Dash and plays for the USA, came together in the middle of the pitch and had a kind of embrace and a hug and a chat. And the moment was really unique because in months leading up to this game, there'd been a lot of speculation about 
if the two players were dating. A lot of very public flirtatious comments on Instagram posts, emojis, things like that, that had led, led a lot of clues, a lot of breadcrumbs as to the, the, the idea and the rumours that these two were dating. So it was kind of a moment that confirmed this for fans all over the world. And also why it was a funny moment is because uh, a journalist in the US shared the picture and said, you know, I know this picture is going to be exciting for a lot of fans or something along those lines. And uh, uh, a Twitter user called Stacy replied to it saying, um, you know, great friendship on display in this picture. And uh, someone who I interviewed for the piece, um, whose username is Prefer Voldemort, 18 year old uh, woman based in Iraq, massive women's football fan, she replied saying, they're lesbians. Stacey, just full stop. Um, and it, it sparked a massive moment on the internet, online, on Twitter, lots of people sharing it, lots of people laughing at it. And 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 funnily enough, you know, Stacey replied saying, so am I, what's the big deal? Um, so it was just a really funny kind of innocent, naive, but joyful back and forth response that I think as a moment, in as as a, as a single moment, just really sort of summed up what is so brilliant about women's football and the queer community on and offline within it. Didn't you have it on a t-shirt? The weekend, I do have I imagined it. That. I do have it on a t-shirt. So yeah, it's it was so, it is something that came from the internet, but has has transformed into so much more. I mean, um, Studs, Becky from Studs, who I interviewed in this piece, she got in touch with um, Prefer Voldemort and said, you know, would you be up for us sticking your tweet on a T-shirt and all the money will go to an Iraqi a charity supporting LGBTQ youth there. Um, it's not just Studs have turned into T-shirts. There's been a number of T-shirts that have been sold, hoodies, lots of different things with some kind of equivalent of that tweet or something about sportsmanship and kindness so this whole idea of sportsmanship in quote quote unquote or friendship quote unquote has been take you know I put a picture up of Christy Mewis because she was actually sat in front of me at Wembley at the FA Cup final on Sunday and so many people replied to that saying great sportsmanship you know tell her tell her like you know I love her sportsmanship and things like that so it's become this almost catchphrase um, and it's something that I think you know Becky mentions in the piece it's something that will live on really as uh, a quote, you know, in women's football, as, as, as a meme in women's football, which, um, yeah, it's just so, it's so funny. Yeah, and Jesse, being perfectly honest, I wasn't aware of this until I read it on The Athletic yesterday. Just how big a moment is it and, and how much fanfare was there around it? Yeah, I think as Flo says, it was like the, the teasing of it almost from Christy and Sam because there'd been all these comments and everyone was like it was almost like they were like playing a game with everyone who was like obviously engaging with it because then everyone else would comment on their posts too being like oh my god so they obviously know like that's the funny thing about these like I guess how social media and I think especially the way women's footballers use social media um, when you're also seeing the fans engaging back with you I imagine that must be quite a weird thing but it felt like they were very knowing about it and yeah, it definitely did feel like um, a big turning point because, of course, as well, after this sportsmanship, their lesbian Stacey photo, um, Sam Kerr promptly went on holiday with Christy Mewis and the first thing she did was post a photo of her snogging her on her Instagram. So that was almost like the the final confirmation after we'd, we'd had this long tease. But it was a bit like, I don't know, watching like a 
a soap show or something where you're just that's, waiting that's for what, the reveal. Yeah. I, I think I think that's what that what it is for me. I think you know. I don't know about you, Dan, but I, you know, I was a very angsty teen. Um, I and I still listen to a lot of Taylor Swift and you know that kind of breakup music. Adele's album obviously just came out recently; it was huge. Um, and I watched uh, The OC, I watched One Tree Hill. You know, I watched all these kind of, you know, rom coms and dramas and things like that. And I think for so many people who are like that this kind of thing in women's football is so relatable because you everyone loves a love story um and to see that like with your idols and the biggest players in the game like jesse says in i quote in the piece it's extremely affirming to know that the biggest players in the game the biggest players in the football the biggest players in the sport that you love are also experiencing that very publicly very proudly it's just like a perfect storm of just like goodness, really. I think it's the only way to describe it. I mean, I will say that I didn't do most of those things that you just listed, <laughs> but the last two Taylor Swift albums, absolutely incredible. Grange Hill, were you a Grange Hill watcher? Uh, Biker uh, Grove. Biker Grove, I definitely See, watched. See, Biker yeah, Grove had I, I angsty Biker stuff. Grove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was more of a neighbours man. Oh, well, neighbours. Maybe come on. The love story between Stingray and um, who was the character that Margot Robbie played? That was emotional, man. When Stingray I mean, died in Neighbours, that hit me deep. I mean, I did not think I'd ever be talking about Stingray from Neighbours <laughs> on the Athletic Football <laughs> Podcast, but here we are. Another le- another learning day <laughs> for me. I mean, the the great thing it, it seems is the openness and and the way in which female players they just are themselves and they're allowed to be themselves and it's there's a safe and an accepting environment for all the members of, of, of various communities. What's the what's the woso? Uh, is it woso? Am I right there? I hate that. <laughs> oh, you don't like it? It's in the script. Not my fault. Like, I'm just reading the script. People do say it. It's is the it's way. Much it is much more American, say, but, but it's sort of the easiest way to describe it. So don't I've heard worry. Flo say woso a few yeah. times. She's always saying it. <laughs> we should call her but out. What, for what, it. I, I want to. I kind of feel like I want in on that community because it sounds a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun, and I think. It's funny because sometimes I feel a bit old for it. It feels very like teenage based. And sometimes I think, oh my gosh, I'm in my 20s. Should I enjoy this as, as much as everyone else does? But I think. I mean, I'm definitely too old for it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what's nice about it is like it feels like a community that sits obviously alongside football, but doesn't necessarily engage entirely with what's going on the pitch. It's obviously a lot more about like the personal aspects of people's relationship with with players and not just about like if those players are gay or if they're in relationships but I think also about those players personalities and you know something we talked about in the women's game for for a long time is they're a lot less media trained a lot of the time than men's footballers so I think the way they engage with normal media club media all of that becomes makes you see like a different side of them that you don't always get within men's football um, but I think what's nice about that is it feels like a great introduction to football for people who might not necessarily have, you know, been into it from like childhood. And I think that's something that the women's game can really offer just generally because, you know, men's football, I think, can be, you know, intimidating, especially if you don't kind of come from like you're not like a white man, basically, because there's almost so much knowledge and history behind it. There's a sense of having to prove Mm. that you know what you're talking about to talk about it. But I think what's so nice about the women's game and this more like personality or social based aspect is it's almost a great like introduction before you even get to what then then happens on the pitch. Does it work the other way as well? So if you're really into the football, it's almost like a nice little 
I don't mean this to sound disrespectful, but like an add-on or an, an accompaniment. Yeah, totally. With it as well, if you are into the football. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like I get all the great football, and then I get like One Tree Hill as my like side dish. You know, so you get you get everything, and I think um, to to feel yourself reflected in in the game is massive. And like Jesse said, I think for so many people that I spoke to, both. Um, prefer Voldemort uh, and Lucy's Bronzer hilarious Instagram parody account can I ask what prefer Voldemort what's that name all about is that about anything in particular I think I think I think they must be a a massive Harry Potter fan as Uh, well it's nothing to do Uh, with the football no nothing to do with the football but um, you know both of them got into women's football fairly recently both of them really spoke about the Women's World Cup in 2019 as being the moment that they got into women's football so they're not you know they haven't been fans for very long but they're there were so many elements to that tournament that really pulled them in. I mean, actually, Lucy's Bronzer, hilarious um, Instagram parody, parody account. Um, she actually told me about how much of an influence Megan Rapino was in in her cr- not only creating her account but also becoming a massive fan of women's football. Funny enough, I didn't like Megan Rapino back then, but her attitude towards the game and not taking it too seriously and fighting for equality but also coinciding that with humour and like you said tongue-in-cheek moments so I think it was partly that and I've never been the type of person that just is serious so I knew if I was going to make this account it was always going to be um, very light-hearted and very yeah not it's kind of an outlet mainly for people my age or older who just wanted to laugh not take anything seriously and just enjoy the enjoy the account it was mainly made for women but funny enough ever since I started I think when I first started off it was I think 80% men but now that it's like like thousands it's I think I checked yesterday it was 67% men so I don't know I feel like something must be going right if I'm making the men laugh and you know most of them do like a sexist joke. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's it's massively important when you've got such big personalities in the game like Megan Rapinoe, like Penelope Harder and Magdalene Erickson who speak so openly about their experiences and are such big activists but also have a humour to it. And I think that's kind of what is so special is they're willing to sort of laugh at themselves uh, and, you know, have have a joke and, and be tongue-in-cheek, which is so powerful. Yeah, we've got a comment on your article, flow from Daniela. She comments saying, fandom like those two YouTubers and speculation on players' sexualities slash being a couple shouldn't be written about as positives as it's invasive. When we first heard kind of the rumblings of this this friendship we sarah and i were just kind of like okay we're not really gonna do a video on it quite yet but then once recent things have happened and overall how much has been going on i just decided we're gonna make a video and i'm gonna tell you what i think at the end if i think this this is a couple or if i think it's not a couple i'm gonna like i'm gonna tell you at the end so look up how would you respond to that it's a really interesting point and I do I do see where she's coming from definitely. I think what is unique about the 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 situation with Sam Kerr and Chrissy Mewis is that they they were very sort of openly playing along with this. It was it was this kind of like cat and mouse will they won't they Ross and Rachel from friends kind of thing. Um both of them have have been fairly open with their sexualities with their relationships. So it's not like 
you know, it's not like they were being outed. I think that's a very different thing if someone were to try and uh, create a, a piece. You know, we've seen this. We've seen this a lot with um, with writing around uh, a, a player in the men's game coming out. It's, it's it's this whole sort of like chase to be the first. It's it's kind of nasty and and mm. quite gross the way that people write about it and all the sort of secrets and oh, there's someone that's ready to come out. They're going to do it. Blah 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 blah. It's not. Yeah, they make it like a freak show. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's not, it's not, it's very much not like that. And I can see why she's looking at that perhaps in the men's game and thinking, well, why is, you know, trying to find out if these two players are a couple, why is that funny? Why is that, why is that interesting? Um, but I do think it's very different because there's two players who have been open about their sexuality, been open about relationships in the past and um, have been for months, you know, when, when this, when that couple on YouTube created that video for months been flirting with each other online, you know, very public space over a million followers can mm. can view what they're doing. It wasn't a secret. It wasn't a secret that people were trying to to unravel. It was very much uh, like literally posting in the comments, flame emojis, you're smoking hot, I want you. Like that's not <laughs> subtle. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I completely appreciate the comment. And I think there are there are certainly lines that that can be crossed and have been crossed where I think there's a respectful place in women's football where where you know a lot of people will have thoughts, ideas, or there's rumours, but a lot of people and most people will know that there is a line that you don't cross because people's sexuality, people's openness is is theirs. It's not yours to take. And I think that's really important. And I think people are respectful of that in women's football because there are a lot of players who don't want to and don't need to go online and be like, this is my girlfriend and I'm gay or I'm bisexual or whatever. But there are a lot of players that want to and do, and it's very powerful. I also think within the women's game, the there are so many out gay players that even speculating on someone's sexuality comes from a very different place because you're not looking at it as being like, this would be a really big deal because this is like the only person on this team who would be gay. Um, and I definitely think, yeah, there's obviously, you've got to respect people's privacy, but huge numbers of players within the women's game will just post pictures of their girlfriends and talk about it. And they will never talk in the media about being gay because they don't feel the need to. And that's amazing. And that's really what, you know, what you want just to see generally. So I think whilst I understand like the YouTube thing, I think some people feel weird about, potentially like the monetization of the gossip and the speculation um, around like, obviously if you make money off a video that's got tens of thousands of views. But again, I, I just think that's the nature of, of any kind of media that comes out from any any sport, any kind of cultural narrative really. Um, and ultimately the, the positives from the whole community and what those players offer, I think far outweigh like, the small elements of negativity within that. Yeah, and we spoke about the the communities and the, and the online accounts. Jesse, can you just talk to me a little bit about Lucy's Bronzer on, on Instagram and and what it is that, that that account actually does? Because as I say, I, I wasn't even aware of all this stuff in, until yesterday. So it's, it's an good education for, me to learn for about you, it Dan. As well. Yeah, yeah I'm, 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 I'm learning a lot. Dan is going to come I'm, away I'm, with a list podcast. of new follows that he's got. I am, I'm gonna, I'll be straight, straight on Instagram straight after the podcast. But yeah, it sounds like a really positive and influential account now. I think Lucy's Bronzer, and I think this like just runs through all of this is she's just really funny. And it's basically just a meme account that just takes the piss, like, 
all the time. And I think all of this stuff is like, I know Flo wrote about it in the piece, but lots of this is about having fun. And I think people getting to celebrate like, whether it's stuff around um, sexuality or just in women's football in general, that there's, you know, for a long time, there's been not much content created about those kind of things. And I feel like Lucy's Bronzer is an account who's kind of almost really filled that gap of being like, people want to have in-jokes about the sport. You know, people want to be able to like laugh at things. And because of the like historical lack or lesser of coverage, we've not always seen that in the past. So, you know, it's a lot of like clipping up club media, um, yeah, making jokes of kind of players, social media accounts, all of that kind of stuff. And it's just a really fun way to engage in what's going on on the pitch. Yeah, and football should be fun. I mean, it's easy for me to say at the moment because my team's suddenly winning again, but football should be fun. And going online and talking about football and looking at stuff about football flow, that should be fun as well. And, and it isn't always. Yeah, and I actually think that's a really important point because I didn't really talk about that much in the piece, but whenever we talk about social media in the context of football, it's 90% of the time a very negative conversation. And I think what is so powerful about this is how it's been so positive. You know, both um, Lucy's Bronzer and, and Prefer Voldemort told me that they've met so many brilliant people online. It's given them a space, safe space in which they feel comfortable, they feel happy, they feel joyful. And, um, you know, actually Prefer Voldemort and Stacey are mates now and they live on opposite sides of the world. And, you know, Lucy's Bronzer, she was only 16 when she set up this account. And for her and a lot of her friends, it's been a really brilliant way for them to understand their own sexuality and come to terms, you know, like she said in the piece with some internalized homophobia, but having this account has been a, a space where she can feel comfortable in herself and people like her can also feel comfortable. And she's met mates, she's met best mates now that she goes to watch games with. I think that's amazing. I think we really need to we really need to focus on that. I think in, in when we talk about social media, because Dan, I'm sure you, I'm sure you're the same with with your like social media presence. Like Jesse, who we're chatting to today, met them online. A lot of the friends that I've met in women's football, I met them all on Twitter or Instagram. Or and so actually, it still does have a really big power to it. And sharing images like Sam Kerr and Chrissy Mewis or Penilla Harder and Magdalena Eriksson kissing at the World Cup that goes viral on social media and that changes someone's life. And that was the case for Prefer Voldemort. And I think that's why it's really important that we also highlight what you said, that that really positive side of social media. Yeah, there's definitely positives. I've, I've made friends off social media and the, and the stuff I've done on YouTube over the years, people I would now go to Villa games with. So yeah, you're, you're right. And that, that is a positive side. It's, it's really, really good to hear that that, that exists. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast and we're going to talk about rainbow laces and tackling the taboo of queer relationships in sport after this short break, so please stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling 
wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When I started Chelsea Pride five years ago, the aim was to cover the whole of football so the women's game was just as important as the men it's not more important because of what women's football represents to the lgbtq plus community because let's be fair you look at women's football it isn't just the fans where you see a more diverse group on the pitch i mean i'm proud i walk into king's meadow and i've mostly got two of the most well-known people who are in a relationship together on the pitch in Magda and Penilla. I mean, their openness is, I mean, it, oh, I mean it, it's breathtaking. And I sit with a group, I sit with the Chelsea Women's Supporters Group at Kings Meadow. Amazing allies. A lot of our fans are crossed over between the two groups. So we've got members who are part of them and vice versa because there's a lot of LGBTQ people who go down to women's football. Don't tend to get it so much in the men's game. If you do, people are normally much more hidden. You can be so open in yourself. I've never had a problem going to Kings Meadow. I've never had any abuse at Kings Meadow. I have, by the way, when I've got to Stamford Bridge. I've done rainbow laces on the pitch, and I've got, you know, with Millie and Beth England, you know. So I know that... Women's football is going in the right direction, but I, I can't stop and I can't praise enough Magda and Penilla for everything they do. And I'm, I'm sure you would have heard, like most people did, I think it was last year for International Coming Out Day, they opened up their private Twitter account, mm. the messages, so that people could message them. I mean, who does that? Because you would never get that from a male football player, let's be fair. Um, just the love for their community, our community. So, I mean, the Rainbow Laces campaign has been going for a fairly long time now. And I think for a lot of people, sometimes it just does feel a little bit procedural. It's like this time of year where we do this thing. Um, and it's hard, I think, to actually measure the impact of it. But I do think in recent years, we have seen a lot of clubs really step up and a lot of players really step up. Jordan Henderson has become uh, a massive sort of role model and, and a, a big um, presence on social media and just kind of trying to encourage in- inclusivity and really engaging and responding to comments. And it's definitely had a power. I mean, but one of the differences that you probably can't ignore is a lot of the a lot of the underlying perhaps sort of like toxicity within the men's game and and Tracy Brown from Chelsea Pride who I spoke to for the piece said you know she always gets asked you know why is why is this so successful or positive in the women's game and why is it isn't in, in the men's game and it's obviously a hard thing to give like a one word answer but Jesse I don't know if you have any thoughts on on why that might be I think generally it's it's about the um... I think there's two elements. There's the actual representation of having LGBT players within the women's game, obviously. It means, you know, like, I'm a Chelsea fan. It means a lot more to me, ultimately, to see Magdalena Eriksson wear, like, a rainbow armband because of what that means to her as an out gay player than it does to see Cesar Azpilicueta. Now, it's not that 
Azpilicueta's not like a great ally or whatever. In fact, he's very good friends with Magda and Penila and they're doing an NBA together. So, but obviously you just know the like personal connection there kind of takes that further. And then I think also from that, the problem is within the men's game is it kind of just feels like it's your like one week hurrah. Whereas in the women's game, when when the players are there, you know that's something that means something to players all throughout the season and the year because it's part of their lives. And, you know, I think we often have this problem, don't we, when we talk about initiatives within football to, to raise awareness, whether it's of homophobia, racism, um, any of those kind of things where they can just feel like, okay, so it's just like a one and done element. And I don't really know how you, you tackle that because obviously the awareness is amazing and important and it's great to have all that focus on it but it's very hard to feel like that's sustained over the course of a season i was talking to someone the other day and i was saying why could the captain's armband not that not be the captain's armband all season that was just a thought i had in my head there's no reason why they shouldn't wear that armband every week yeah i think it's about it's 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 about normalizing isn't it and that's why i think it's so powerful in the women's game because it is completely normalized um it, it doesn't feel like something that you have to talk about or focus on um whereas obviously in the men's game it is a bit more of a sort of annual celebration and annual event which then doesn't necessarily normalize the idea of this being the case all year round it certainly still has an impact the impact isn't lost but yeah, like you said, if if this was just something that was standard, you would see this rainbow armband every week, then the idea of it would be normalised. Obviously, we know that the armband in itself is just one piece of the puzzle and that, you know, it's it's why it, it, it means more than that. And, you know, certain chants that are sung, are sung at games, it, you know, if you have a rainbow armband and those chants are still being sung, then it doesn't really matter, does it? So it's still more than that. But yeah, it is an interesting one. I think it's about making these things just become a natural part of society. Um, and I think what's been so positive, and, and Liz Ward, who's director of programs at Stonewall, I spoke to for the piece, is you know she's she's feeling really positive from a from a Stonewall and from a personal perspective that. That society is is you know it gives her hope really for society these sorts of things because it makes you feel like there is a greater acceptance coming in society for the LGBTQ community and inclusivity you know we're going to get there and I think that's really important because just like the social media thing like there is a lot of negativity around and I think to have these small snippets of positivity like the fact that she's using pictures of Penelope Harder and Magdalene Eriksson in workshops to young people is amazing. Um, and, you know, a lot Chelsea, uh, Chelsea Pride, Tracy Brown spoke about the fact that Eriksson and Harder opened up their DMs on National Coming Out Day to young people, which is huge. I mean, literally two of the biggest players in the world saying, if you want to DM us about anything today, please do. I just think is amazing. And I think People like Jordan Henderson have followed their lead in that and, and you know, stepped up to it. And I think that's really good because you don't want to have this sort of like separation of women's football becoming the inclusive uh, game and men's football sort of alienating itself even more um, because they were brilliant. You know, a lot of these LGBTQ fan groups are doing so much brilliant work at their clubs across the men's and women's side. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they deserve a huge amount of credit for that. And they they are making a massive difference and they are building so many allies within the community 
it's just there is so much within men's football that you have to break down. Like like Jesse said, so much history, so much toxicity that it can't be it can't disappear with an armband. It's just it's gonna take so long to sort of unpack that and to break it down and, and to make it better. But I do think there are so many things that the men's game could learn from the women's game in, in respect irrespect of um the players and and the way that they can so proudly be themselves. Mm. I mean, I've got that, and you can't see it because it's an audio podcast, but I've got the Thomas Hitzelsberger Stuttgart rainbow shirt behind me. Yeah. Having him, even as, as he was, well, he's, he's leaving actually, but he's CEO of a Bundesliga team and such a such a great character, such a great person, such a great representation of, of, of so many things. And yeah, that's, that's a big thing, isn't it? Bringing out a whole shirt based around it is massive. What feels nice about these things when they do work is is like the unique elements of them. And I think, yeah, like having a shirt or something like club specific that relates to someone, that's maybe like what feels like the next step, like moving on from kind of this, everyone's just going to wear laces over over the weekend. Mm. Because, you know, when we're talking about Jordan Henderson, like I think what's really powerful, like with some of the stuff he's done, like when he, you know, retweeted that trans fan to kind of say like, you're welcome here during the Euros. And again, like with Magda and Panila opening their DMs, it's the off the cuff, like individual stuff that feels really moving, I think, because it's that sense of you didn't have to do this. No one asked you to do this. No one made you do this. You wanted to because whether you're gay or straight or whatever, you wanted to create a more inclusive environment for people who are. And I think that's where the really like powerful moments come in. And, you know, we've spoken, lots of people have spoken about how the England men's team have kind of had uh, an amazing trajectory to become these like really like vocal people speaking speaking up for people who ha- haven't always had that voice in football and I think that is actually like really the crux of all this stuff is when it's coming from the players itself it like it, it's always going to mean more. And Jesse the impact of everything we've been discussing is extremely personal can you tell us about that and also how much change we've seen in quite a short space of time? Yeah I think what's been really amazing for me to kind of take stock of where from like talking to Flo for the piece and and all of that kind of stuff is you know even when we talk about women's footballers being out in the game we're really talking over like a couple of year period for for it to become as prevalent as it is right now you know like there's been some like very historic moments like obviously Casey Stoney coming out when she was um with England and talking about having twins with her wife um, that was like a real like standout moment that, that I remember very clearly. But, you know, it is only really recently that we've seen players be super, super open about stuff. And I think, you know, the advent of social media has done a lot for that because players don't have to, you know, Casey Stoney basically went and sat down and did an interview for the BBC to say she was gay. Whereas now the idea that anyone would do that in, in women's football is is almost impossible to imagine because it's a lot easier for players to kind of drip feed or like, talk about these things without actually having to vocalize it because ultimately that that's weird like that process of coming out is complicated and hard and scary when you're talking about doing it on like an individual one-to-one level to your friends and family let alone the idea that you have to go out and do it to, to millions of people so I think being able to kind of like throw these things in there you know post a picture with your girlfriend um and for it not to have to become like like a speech act of like I am gay um, has done loads I think to to make this feel more normal because 
ultimately, like, it's easy to think about footballers and put them on a pedestal because of their place in society. But really, they're just like humans like you and me. And, you know, I wouldn't, if I was going to post a picture with my girlfriend, I wouldn't be sat there being like writing some, I don't know, like long essay about, I don't know what, you know, she's a lovely woman and I should, maybe I should write long essays about how amazing she is. But do you know what I mean? Like you just do it as a normal thing because that's just who you are. And like, I came out a very long time ago and I'm sure lots of these players did as well on a personal level. And I think that's just why it feels so nice because they're just like you. I mean, Flo, just to finish, the, the biggest takeaway from your article is the word joy. When so much of these kind of stories are usually centred around the struggle as if almost to scare people off, as, as we've touched on, how how big is it, that, that word joy? It's huge. It's huge. And I think just like the way, you know, queer has been completely redefined in the last, you know, three decades... I think what is so perfect about this piece and, and you know, everyone within the, the queer community is it's about representing that joy. It's about representing that diversity, that, that spe- spectrum of identity and, and love. And I think that's why it's so perfect to use that word to say, you know, this is joyful. Yes, it's really important to talk about people's individual stories and journeys because that can help other people and that's 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 massive i think it's also really important to focus on the happiness and and the love and that side of things because yeah like you said that's a that's a story we rarely get to hear and for so many of us within women's football it's a joyful space and having these women within it and having them be so proudly and unashamedly queer it it's it's so affirming for you it's so it's so reassuring to know that like how you are and and how you feel is absolutely fine and it's really fun and it's really great and i think that is really important um and i hope that other people get that through the piece um you know had lots of really nice comments on it which is brilliant um and lots of people have shared it and so i hope other people get that and i hope other people feel that too in in their lives you know that they are getting joy whether they're part of the queer community or not i think that's really important yeah it's really really impactful i've sat here with a smile on my face the whole way through doing this podcast hopefully you've enjoyed it too jesse thanks ever so much for talking to us today it's been a pleasure to have you on thanks for having me this is a paid advertisement from better health therapy online do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest we all carry around different stresses big and small and when we keep them bottled up it can start to affect us negatively Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's betterhel dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's talk now about all the good stuff that's going on on The Athletic right now and what's up on the site writing-wise. Flo, more joy for you. Peace on QPR. Yeah, it's been very joyful for QPR at the moment, bar uh, Sunday when we lost to Stoke. But all in all, uh, unbelievable season. And I think what this piece from Nancy and and Dom's explains so well is the journey to get to this point. Um, It has been a hard road for QPR, uh, a lot of pain, uh, a lot of hard work from... The, the, the sort of front office staff, they deserve a lot of credit as well as Mark Warburton and the coaching side of things and the players because I don't think many people could have seen them getting to b- become real contenders for promotion this season from where they were a few years ago, which was completely broke, uh, an utter mess, complete chaos, you know, a circus is how it's described in the piece. And it really was, um, you know, it just... Any anyone who was had vague Premier League experience could essentially get a four year, fifty grand a week contract at that place. It was just absolute mayhem. So it's great to see you know fans enjoying the football again and the the buzz around the place and some really important foundations which they mentioned the piece with a training ground finally finally being built. Which you know like like Villa have, it's just for any successful football club, you've got to have a good training base. And QPR have been dotting around between the academy being one place, the first team being another place, in a really old school training ground out by Heathrow. And it's been such a nightmare for for the club trying to get this new training ground built. But fingers crossed they're finally going to have it. And that just bodes well for the future. I mean, personally, I think it's too soon to go up into the Premier League because I think they'll get go straight back down again. Um, it'll be just like Norwich, but probably not even as much quality as they have. But I think it is just a great sign to a lot of other clubs to think, even when it goes horribly wrong, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I've always rated Mark Warburton. That's why I think he's done a good job most places he's been. I thought he's quite an interesting character as well, if you go into his background as well. So yeah, fair play to him. Very, very good manager. I'll plug a piece that I read this morning before I came on this podcast, Simon Johnson's piece on Chelsea and why them falling away from top spot shouldn't be a surprise. Some interesting points in there that I haven't thought of. So yeah, if you want to go and check that out, please do so. And a final reminder from me that you can read every article we've mentioned and so much more by signing up to The Athletic. Save 33% on a full subscription today by visiting theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thanks very much, Flo, the star of the show today. And thanks to Jesse Parker Humphreys for joining us as well. Thanks to all of you for listening as well. Please get involved in the comments section. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And wherever you do get your podcasts, if you are enjoying the show, then please leave us a review too. This was the Athletic Football Podcast. Mark Chapman and Matt Slater will be back with another episode tomorrow. So hopefully you'll join us again. The Athletic.